Nehemiah was definitely determined to follow the Lord in what God had for him. And I'm just going to pray that you and I both can learn some lessons from what Nehemiah has encountered in the Scriptures. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for the worship. And Lord, may you remind us this morning that we need to be determined to follow the passions you have put in our hearts, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. I was thinking, as the service began, a mission trip that I took to Gulfport soon after Katrina had hit. We had taken a group of kids and adults to go do some rebuilding through the North Carolina Baptist Men mission that were there. And I can remember, like it was yesterday, driving through the city and driving along the coast and seeing huge buildings demolished into piles of toothpicks. And I remember going to meet Miss Mary. Her house was what we were going to work on. And she wanted us to help clean out her garage. And we had to to clean out all that stuff and to put a new roof on it and and many other things. And, And I can just remember going through boxes and crates of material and seeing that flood water, what they called soup, in every, every little bit of material that we handled. But we did rebuild. It was a phenomenal week. And even though we saw all of this desperation, by the end of the week, we had seen that garage transformed. And you might wonder, why did she want her garage fixed? Well, her house had been gutted. All the sheetrock had been taken down. And, and she had another crew to do that. But... All of her wedding material that she used to host weddings was in that garage that was not going to be covered under whatever arrangement she had. So I can remember cleaning through that garage and thinking that some of this stuff didn't have much value to us. But to her, I can remember one of our ladies picking out a big plastic bin, and there was nothing but uh, artificial flowers in there that this Miss Mary had used for weddings, and that lady spent almost half a day cleaning every little petal on those flowers. And at the end of the week, Miss Mary was extremely happy. When we first pulled in that morning to start work on Monday, by the end of the week, our kids were hugging on her, and she brought us some church's fried chicken for our last meal. Amen. Get it. We had won her over. I think about Miss Mary often wondering where she is today. But as I thought about that trip, as I thought about the devastation that was there, I can remember leaving at the end of that week thinking something positive was done. Not only did we rebuild a garage and a lifestyle, we gave hope to a person. Not because we are great, but because God gave us the strength and the ability to do it. And as we enter into the story of Nehemiah, one of the the critical elements of his story is rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. At this point, we pick up the story. Jerusalem has been overthrown by Babylonians for the third time, and they're trying to restore. People are moving back to Jerusalem, but the walls still need to be rebuilt. Who's going to do it? Who's going to rebuild those walls? But how can I illustrate this to our church members? So I thought about this. I didn't do it. I, th- I was going to take like about five or six balls of, of crumbled up paper and just put it in the sanctuary. 
and just watch and see if anybody picked them up. And I thought, that would be funny because I probably know of a handful of people that would, would probably pick them up. But I thought, you know, is somebody going to look at that paper and say, I need to pick that up? Or are they going to say, somebody's falling down on the job on the cleaning around here. Somebody, somebody else might say, we need to pray about getting somebody to pick that paper up. Maybe somebody else will say, you know what, we need a committee to talk about what kind of people we need to pick up paper around here. Or maybe it might be that we need to set some policies and some procedures in here to make sure that crumpled up paper does not be thrown in our floor. Now, that would have been an oversimplification because I know that there are plenty of people in here that would have saw that and pick it up. But here's what we're talking about. We're talking about not crumpled pieces of paper, but we are talking about your life. We are talking about your family. We are talking about your relationship with God. We are talking about your place in this body of Christ. We call Holman Park Baptist Church. And as we begin that, I have a question to ask you. As we look at determination and finding our passions, the question is, do you have a passion? Now, when I use the term passion, I don't mean this in an erotic love sense. I mean, do you have a vision? Do you have a passion? And if so, how does that passion affect your life? I have a passion for my marriage to be a husband. I have a passion for my family to be a good son. I have a passion as a calling, as a pastor, to do what the Lord has called me to do. And I have a calling to make sure, as I pastor, that I am taking this church in the direction that God would have it to go. I have a passion for the lost. These are things that are important to me. These are non-negotiables. These are what fuel me to do what I do. What are your passions? Your passions do not exist when you get your AARP card in the mail. Your passions do not cease to exist once you have gone from a teenager to an adult. Or once, believe it or not, whether you've gone from 6th grade to 7th grade. We all have passions. We all have desires. And we all have dreams. And Nehemiah was one of those men that had a passion. My question to you today is, are you passionate about something? Something that gives you cause to wake up in the morning. Something that gives you cause to follow God and to serve Him. If the truth be told, every one of us in here has those type of passions. But some of us have just given up on them. Nehemiah did not. What is your passion? If you do not have a passion, no matter what your age, you can get one. Never stop serving God. Following passions requires a God-shaped vision for your life. And in this world we live, they try to squelch anything that does not fit into their preconceived notion of what a Christian ought to be. We should have our worship services and then go out in the world, be quiet, and don't say a word. That's what they want us to do. But that's not the type of passion that God gives. A determined person who follows their passion will inspire others to do the same. If someone has a passion, if you have a passion, you'll either inspire someone 
to follow their passions, or you will have someone who refuses to follow their passion be critical and try to push you down. Because your obedience to God is making their disobedience stick out like a sore thumb. For example, Ludwig van Beethoven, he was to many the father of classical music. When he was 46 years old, he created five of the greatest symphonies ever composed. You know Beethoven's fifth symphony, the one that goes, da 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 and I'm not going to sing the rest of it, but you get the idea. You realize he was deaf when he wrote that. He had a passion for music. He had a passion for what he did. There's a man named Jonas Salk, S-A-L-K. He invented a vaccine for polio after attempting to do so some two hundred times. Someone asked him how it felt to fail 200 times. He said, I never failed 200 times at anything in my life. My family taught me never to use that word. I simply found 200 ways not to make the vaccine for polio. What if he had given up at number 199? One away from finding that vaccine that basically eradicated polio from the face of this earth. What if he had stopped at 199? Have some of you stopped following your passions because you didn't get the desire that you had hoped or you just feel like that you're too old to even pick it up anymore? Or you tried and you failed. You might be at 199. Keep trying. Keep following your passions. There's a a man named Jim Denny. He was the manager of the Grand Ole Opry in 1954. And he fired a young man after his performance saying, and this is his quote, you ain't going nowhere, son. You ought to go back to driving the truck. That young man was Elvis Presley. Now people pay gukus of money to own his memorabilia. We have people that go just to see his house. I've been there. I've seen the jungle room, baby. It is awesome. Graceland. I sat there and looked at his tomb. I've seen, you know, as you walk through this, this hall of all of these outfits that he had, it, it is amazing that I paid that much to see that. But, there was definitely something about Elvis Presley, was it not? He was a man who had a passion. And in the very early part of his life, a passion for serving the Lord. And God used him and used his music in great ways. What if he had listened to Jim Denny and said, you know what, I'm sorry, you're right. I move my hips too much. People are getting sidetracked and I listen to the music. They're just watching me dance. We would have never had an Elvis Presley. People have told you to give up. The voices inside your head have told you that you're too old. You're too young. You tried before and you failed. Do not give up. Find your passion. Do you have a passion? And if so, how does it affect your life? Well, Nehemiah is the last of the historical Old Testament books that records the Jews' third return to Jerusalem. 
after their captivity. God gave Nehemiah a passion to do a God-sized task, and Nehemiah was determined, there's that word, determined to see it through. Are you determined to see your passions for serving the Lord come to life? He had a vision of God's plan for his life and the command and the passion to see it through. There's a man named Ken Hemphill. He's uh, retired from uh, the Southwestern Theological Seminary. He was their president. He's retired to do his own thing with the Southern Baptist Convention. But I remember in a meeting he said this, and I remember to this day, and, and, I, and I still apply it to my life. He says, vision directs your passion, and passion powers your vision. Vision directs your passion, and passion powers your vision. It's one thing to have a vision of where you want to go. I hear people tell me every day, boy, I just I know when Home and Park Baptist Church gets to here, we're gonna, you know, God's gonna do something great. Okay, fine. But where is the passion to push it? We have a vision of what we want to be, but are we gonna do the work and are we gonna put in the effort to get us to where that is? Not only is a, a church, not the church even isn't as important as our own personal relationship with Christ. We have a vision of where we would like to be with the Lord. Is your passions pushing you toward that? Are your passions pushing you toward that? Nehemiah responded to his problem immediately. Immediately. And what was his first Action, we'll see in just a moment, was not to form a committee or to do a study group or to ask somebody's opinion. The first thing Nehemiah did when he found out that there was a problem is he commenced to pray. Prayer must be our response when attempting a God-sized calling. You might think that I'm, you know, I'm not preaching this to get you to sign a list to, to be on some kind of committee or some kind of team or anything like that. I am preaching this because God has given you and I opportunities to serve Him. And before you ever put a check on a piece of paper, and before you ever sign up, I want you to pray. And if you can pray, and God tells you, I'm going to give you a pass on this, then I'm good. If God tells you, and you have a piece about the fact that there is nothing you can do, then That's between you and the Lord. But if He tells you there is something that He's not done with you, and He has given you a passion, and He gives you that vision, and you don't follow through with that, James calls that sin. To know what to do and not do it is sin. James says it clearly. Peter gives us perspective. By praying first, the problem becomes smaller. It's God becomes bigger. Again, I would ask you, do you have a passion? And if so, how does it affect your life? Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and we see that passion begins passion begins with a compassion. Passion begins with a compassion for others. Starting at verse 1, it says, During the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, when I was in the fortress of Susa, Hananiah and one of my brothers arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me, 
The remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down, and its gates have been burned down. And in verse 4 it says, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before God of heaven. When is the last time the plight of someone else has moved you to the point of tears and to the point of praying for them? There's some truth about a God-centered passion. Number one, we see that when we have a God-centered passion, we identify with that passion. For example, to the Jews, Jerusalem was their holy city. Jerusalem was the capital, much like Columbia is the capital to South Carolina. This was the the city. This was the epicenter of everything that they were. It was where God dwelt. And to Nehemiah, Jerusalem, even though he had never been there, he was Jewish, but because of the exile, he had never set foot in Jerusalem. But to Nehemiah, Jerusalem was his homeland. And those were his people. He identified with the people. The second thing we see is our passion seek to help others as well as ourselves. Our passions will help others as well as ourselves. Although the Jews have been exiled by the Babylonians, they have been returning to Jerusalem for years, but the city walls had yet to be repaired. What's so big about the city walls not being prepared? This is... Jerusalem, that would be kind of like our Washington, D.C., you know, where we are, are proud of our buildings. Can you imagine the Jewish people returning to their homelands and see this once great city now in rubble? You've got to remember, for Jerusalem was once a great city, so to see the walls, well, if a city did not have walls back in the... Why do you have a fence at your house? For like us, we try to keep the dogs out. I mean, try to keep the dogs inside the pen, right? But for some people, you have fences to keep people out. Fences, walls, protect us. And the walls of Jerusalem symbolized protection and strength and might. Kind of like I've heard people talk about Home Park Baptist Church. Boy, back in the day, we had 20 buses in the back, and we had 1,000 people in the sanctuary, and we just want to get back to that again. Well, we might get back to that again. But right now, the walls are down. Right now, the walls are broken. And we need people with passion to help rebuild those walls. But to have that passion, we have to identify with the people. If we want to strengthen our personal walk with God, and we want to strengthen this church so that we can have a a shine your name badge and look better in the community... That is all for naught. We have to have a compassion for the people God is calling us to reach. That is our passion. Our passion should seek to help others as well as ourselves. Not only was the city walls broken, the people of Jerusalem were broken as well. It would have been very easy for Nehemiah to say, Oh man, that's bad. I'll pray for them. And move on with the rest of his day. But he did not. 
Folks, do not tune out God from your daily routine. If you were to take time just to listen. Moses, for example, went out to shepherd his flock when God called him to be a prophet. David was keeping a sheep for his father when God called him to be a king. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen that were mending them their nets to when Jesus looked at them and said, You, come with me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. They were doing their everyday routine when Jesus interrupted them. He still works the same way for you and I. Because, folks, remember, these men, they went. They didn't ask questions. They didn't have the details. They just went. We see that the door of God's blessings hinges on obedience. We have to put ourselves in a place to listen for God and to pray. Also, godly passions are going to glorify God. Sounds simple, does it not? But if our passions are to glorify ourselves and make ourselves feel better about ourselves, those are not godly passions. That's called selfish ambition. If our passions are to build up the kingdom of God, then those are the ones that God has given us. Nehemiah not only wanted to restore Jerusalem and his people, but what was the main reason? Was it to give them a walled city where they could be careful or they could be protected? No. What was Nehemiah's main goal for rebuilding the walls? To glorify God. To glorify God. That was his main thrust. That was his passion. To glorify God. If our passions are worldly, they're going to glorify ourselves. And those are not of God. Don't be a person who ignores and turns a deaf ear to the needs of people. It's kind of like there's needs in our community and there's needs in our families and there's needs in our church. And we're like a little kid. I can't hear you. You ever had a kid do that? It's aggravating. Some of you probably done it. I think I've probably done it before. But we can't just close our ears off. And we can't just ignore. Godly passions move us towards God, not away from Him. Nehemiah did not just wallow in his sorrow over Jerusalem. He took direction and he took action. Nehemiah learns two lessons from his experience that we know. Listen, there is always going to be hurting people. There's always going to be hurting people. And also, hurting people like to hurt people. That's sad to say, but it's the truth. But it doesn't stop us from our passion. It doesn't stop us from reaching out to them. It does not stop us from doing what the Lord has called us to do. Passion answers the question, why am I doing this. Let us learn from Nehemiah when he wept. When God puts a burden on our heart, don't try to escape it because it makes us uncomfortable. Because if we do, we'll miss the blessing. Second, we see that prayer, or determined prayer, determined prayer supports our passion. Determined prayer starts our passion. Verses 5 through 11. In verse 5 we see that God is the focus of our passion. In verse 5 he says, 
Nehemiah writes, I said, Yahweh, the God of heaven, the great and awe-inspiring God, who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keeps his commandment. He starts his prayer off by giving praise to God. If we make God big, our problems become smaller. Next we see that Nehemiah takes ownership of the problem where he says in verses 6-8, through Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins, and, and here is the key word. He says, I confess the sins that we have committed against you. We have committed against you. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly towards you, and you have not kept the commands and statutes and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. By Nehemiah saying the word we, he is taking ownership and saying, I'm going to help solve this, but I am part of the problem. What is it they say in self-help groups that the first, the first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem? Nehemiah knew that he was part of the problem and he wanted to fix it. Understand, that God has been faithful to you in your past. God has been faithful to you in your past. If you give Him your present and trust Him with your future. Nehemiah knows God is the key to his success. In verses 10-11 through 11 it says, you, there, there are your servants and your people. You redeem them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and have compassion on him in the presence of this man. What is happening here to Nehemiah? As Nehemiah is praying, he is getting something he desperately needs. You know what that is called? Confidence. If you're like me, there have been times in my life where I've had a passion about something and something negative happens or even worse, I fail. And the first thing I do is say, oh, well, I guess I'll just stop. I didn't pray about it. I didn't ask God if he wanted me to continue. I just stopped. Who was the loser on that? I was. As we pray, we gain confidence. God can handle anything we encounter. He will give us direction and the power to get through it if we simply access it through prayer. But prayer, this is not just a one-time prayer that Nehemiah is making. It says that for weeks he, and days he, he prayed and he fasted. This was a continual dependence upon God. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that the, the days of having one prayer that fixes everything, that's a farce. We are to daily seek God. To daily take up our cross and follow Him. Daily. Not once every Sunday or every other Sunday or at Christmas and Easter. Every day we are to take up our cross and follow Him. God can handle anything. But we have to have continual prayer. Continual prayer. This was a battle that, that Nehemiah was in that could only be won through prayer. Now, we have testimony after testimony of people in this very sanctuary today that have fought great battles. 
Not with guns. Not with fists. But with bended knees. And many in here are still fighting on their knees. I get encouraged by seeing those. I know there, there are those of you in here that I know have had troubles. But everyone in here, if you have got a pulse in this room, you have seen your share of troubles and trials and tribulations. And you could get up here and you could scream of the faithfulness of God as you have prayed and God has brought you from one place to another. And you can, te- you can give a testimony through your life. The determined prayer supports our passion. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Don't give up on what God has placed in your heart. Nehemiah needed God to work in the lives of others. Even some of them were non-believers. To make this passion successful. And we'll talk more about that next week. But what you, the rule you find out is, is that if God has called you to do something, you can take this to the bank. If God has called you to do something, He's already working ahead of you on that person that He's putting on your heart. He's already ahead of you working on that situation that's got you worried. He's already there. He just wants you to be obedient to follow Him. Last but not least, determined choices are necessary to follow your passion. In verse 11, the last part of it simply says, At the time, I was the king's cupbearer. At the time, I was the king's cupbearer. And we'll go more in detail with that next week, I'm sure. But basically understand it this way. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, who was a Persian king. And the cupbearer was somebody that would taste the king's food before he would taste it to make sure that it was okay. I mean, he put his life on the line because back then people would try to poison kings. That was part of the warfare they did. He was present in legal proceedings. He was present when big decisions were made. He was like the number two man. He was very important. It made no sense for him to be at this level in his career and all of a sudden God puts a burden on his heart for his people. It would have been easy for him to say, man, that's awful. I'll pray about it. And do nothing. Not Daniel, but Nehemiah decided to act on that. Nehemiah had done well for himself. And from a worldly standpoint, this burden that he has for his people of Jerusalem, to many would be called a distraction. Just put that out of your head and keep focused on what you're doing. He couldn't because God had planted it in his life. God calls you and I out of our comfort zone. Determined means that comfort is a roadblock. Determination must overcome. I'm telling you what, there is nothing I like better than on a hot day being able to get a cold glass of lemonade or tea or Coke Zero or whatever, get in that recliner, kick it back, 
and veg out. That's good times, is it not? That's living large. I love it. But you know what? That's not where the battle is going to be won. The battle is not going to be won from our lazy boys and our television schedules and our routines. The battles are going to be won on our knees when we follow our passions. I'm going to close with this poem. The poem is called Opportunities Missed. And it says, There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked, he never tried, he never sang or prayed. And when he one day passed away, his insurance was denied, for he never really lived, they claimed he never died. Don't spend your life taking up oxygen, but never living. Follow your passions that God has given to you. Nehemiah's decision when he heard the plight of his people, his passion was rescuing his people for the glory of God. So what did he do? He went, he prayed, he stood up, and he went to work. And we're going to talk about how he goes to work next week. What is your decision? Again, I will ask you, do you have a passion? And if so, how does it affect your life? Folks, I say this with all the love in the world, and I say it to myself as well. Stop being so wrapped up in your own life that you lose the passion that God has given you for other people. God is calling you for something greater for yourself, for your family, and for this church. Will you determine today to trust God with your passion? Or better yet, would you trust Him if you don't have a passion to show you one? As always, in, in every service I will tell you, step one, First base, the place that you have to tag first, is a relationship with Jesus Christ as His Savior and Lord. That is the starting point. Without Jesus, there is no godly passion. And that is where we start. You accept Jesus Christ into your heart as Savior and Lord. Then you begin to feel through the Holy Spirit the needs of others. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, as your Savior Lord. If your life is passionless, I want to introduce you to the most passionate man that ever walked this earth. You can come forward and we'll pray with you and you can know today that He is your Savior Lord. But there are many in here this morning that have prayed to receive Christ and you know that you're a Christian, but you've given up and you have listened to the lies of the world. You're too rich, you're too poor, you're too young, you're too old, you're too fat, you're too skinny. All of these things that the world is telling you that you're too much of, and you've let the world take the place of what God has for your life. Be determined, church. Determined to follow your passion, as we see Nehemiah doing the same in his life. If you'd like to join this church, or you'd just like to have prayer, come forward this time.